The question must first be asked if it is correct to say that God has a purpose. Many of us are not certain humanity has a purpose, let alone God. But we need not ask. The Bible is clear on this point. Proverbs 19 verse 21 Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Ephesians 1 verse 11 In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Isaiah 46 verse 10 Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Ephesians 1 verses 4-5 Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. The Bible does not clarify God's purpose in so many words, but it is acknowledged that he would all men be saved and be conformed to his will. We are given a hint as to his purpose in 2 Timothy. God calls us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose. We know the purpose of God was established from the beginning. Because the will of God will be done, his will is a purpose and a prize we strive for. The purpose of man is to fulfill the purpose of God. The purpose of God can only be to fulfill his will. It might be considered the most difficult of things to ascertain the will of God. But that is only when we are tricked into looking for a universal purpose for all persons. If Christians understand there are two peoples and two cultures and two distinct ways of seeing God's creation, it becomes obvious the purpose of Christians is not the purpose of the enemies of God. Some persons are in denial, and being in denial, they are left to their own devices. Deniers subscribe to the law of extremism, might makes right, and the end justifies the means. An extremist has no source of legitimacy but his physical ability to maim, kill, or overcome his opponents. Like a contest of might between medieval combatants, the contestant who emerges victorious is the one who is considered to have the legitimate claim. A loss means your claim lacked merit. This type of thinking was originally based on the understanding that God controlled outcomes. Since God is good, it was assumed God would ensure the right prevailed. But since the contest was focused on the person's physical prowess, God seemed to have stacked the deck mightily against women. Indeed, women were required to find a male champion to defend their claims and prosecute their grievances. But why God would link virtue with martial prowess is not explained. But God is all powerful. To link his purpose with a person's fighting ability is unhelpful. God does not need a human champion to win a contest or prosecute a case. Indeed, it is difficult to see how giving men great strength and martial power would help further the purpose of God, even though his purpose has not been stated clearly. Let's assume God's champion is a great warrior as David was said to be or an unbeatable fighter as Samson was. God has in this champion a man or general able to lay waste to the world and subjugate all other persons. But how does this help God or push forward his purpose? Great empires do not manifest the loving nature of God nor exemplify God's desire to see all persons take up their cross and follow Christ. Nimrod was a mighty hunter and formed the first of mankind's empires, but he was no man of God. 
God much prefers the weak and lowly to spread his message, so that no man can boast. But this is not just a sign concerning the power of God. The purpose of God is work through man, but it would be wrong to associate God's presence in the life of man with the flesh of man. The church of God was created to bring people together in faith, not flesh. We are to help one another. There is no leader in the church in the sense of a higher authority other than Christ. So, to associate the purpose of God with rapine, pillage, oppression, and dictatorships is to misunderstand the nature and purpose of our Lord. God works through the weak because God works through the church, not through the military, government, or gang. It is not only that God does not want or need physically strong men in order for his will to be done, the ability to dominate, coerce, and control others is incompatible with the church and the operation of God on earth. The purpose of God cannot be achieved through coercion or physical means. Jesus wants to reconcile man to his Father. To do this we are to model the love of God to our fellow man. We are not God, and we lack the power of God, but we are given the church to manifest God on earth. But this love cannot fulfill the purpose of God if exercised solely on the level of the individual. We are to love corporately. The Spirit of God is manifested in and through the church. But the church is not a monolith. The true church of God cannot exist as a homogenous group administrated by a steep gradient of power-wielding administrators. If we imagine God as our Father in heaven who watches over us and cares for us, then to take this love and manifest it through the church requires a body of believers dedicated to the care of the body. What this means and how it manifests in the real world can be analyzed in a logical and analytical way. Once we have been provided the concept of the church and its purpose, which is to manifest the love of God through the body of believers, on fact is immediately obvious. If we were all clones of each other, having the same abilities, interests, and needs, we would have no need of each other. Our sexuality provides a fundamental sexual need for others of the opposite sex. But this is just the beginning. Without there being sexual dimorphism on a deeper than the biological level, men and women would be like the beasts, coming together simply to mate. But rearing children is a responsibility of gigantic proportions. This task alone requires specialized roles and a division of labor. Both parties will be disadvantaged by the arrangement of tasks, but the child will be benefited. The burdens of child-rearing are so unevenly divided that if each parent does 50% of the total work that needs to be done, a large amount of work will remain undone and become a source of confusion, recrimination, and cause for divorce. That is the nature of a marriage. Unless each person in the union does at least 70% of the work that needs doing, the marriage will not survive. No statement guarantees a marriage will end in divorce more than the promise to meet the other partner halfway. This level of injustice may be possible to tolerate in a marriage where love surmounts the patented injustice and inequality of a relationship, but this injustice cannot persist in a market environment. But socialists do attempt to recreate the devotion found in a marriage onto civil society. Individuals are expected to treat their neighbor as they would their spouse were they still married. But this strategy penalizes the most productive in favor of the indigent. But the self-reliant have little or no need of government, whereas the indigent have a strong desire for a benevolent dictator. What is the church but a way to add value to the body of Christ without the bother of democracy or the tyranny of dictatorships? 
The church neither needs the assent of the people to exist or the martial prowess of a dictator to have influence. The purpose of God is to give mankind a way to reconcile themselves to him. We do this through our faith in him which must translate into a faith in his church. What is faith in God if it does not manifest as faith in the people of God? If we believed in our neighbor, we would invest in him. This is the real story of the Good Samaritan and the real meaning behind the story of the rich young man. We need to feel free to invest in the people of God, which in their totality manifest as the church. What this means is that we must feel our investment is secure. The people of God must trust one another and this mutual trust in its totality becomes the church. The church is not built by our faith in God unless our faith in God becomes a work of faith manifested as a strengthening trust in the people of God. It is convenient to think a person only needs to tell God he or she believes he exists to be saved. As if this means something to God. It is mere crying of empty words. Satan and all of his demons do as much. A testament of faith and baptism are just works with no spiritual significance. There must be works of faith, which is the building of the church. But why would Jesus tell the rich young man to sell all he had and follow him? Is this not a work? Does divestment make one a better or more worthy person? No, poverty is not a virtuous condition, but there is a logical reason behind what Jesus told the rich young man. We do not have a right to what we did not create. To sell all we have forces us to live by what we do for others. This forces us into the church because we are forced to rely on one another. As a church, we are accountable to our fellow believers for what we do, and we are in a position to hold them accountable. That is the nature of an economy. When we do not live trusting in the physical things of the material world, we are forced to live in faith. If we own no capital goods, we must trust the church to help us as we help them. The purpose of God is to build his church and therefore to ensure his church is built. Our purpose is to build the church and to ensure his church is built. We are his church. Our purpose is to build up the people of God as a corporate body. To take up our cross is to take up our work which builds up the body of Christ. The people of God are spiritually diverse. Liberals pride themselves on physical diversity. There are no limits on what a liberal will do to their body to make their body unique. Christians may look more uniform in their dress, speech, and manners than liberals, but they are widely diverse in their soul. This spiritual diversity manifests as different ways of helping others. The purpose of God is to build up civilization because civilization is needed to build the church up in a way that it is a light to the world. If we all did the same thing the same way, we would have no need for each other. Primitive cultures have weak churches because they have less need for one another. But the same is true for cultures in which power is centralized and our usefulness is dictated by the needs of a third party. It is our unique specializations that make civilization come about. The more diverse our skills, the greater the level of civilization there is. The growth of specialization is the key to building an economy and a stable civil society. But it is the church that promotes specialization to the greatest degree. This is why the purpose of God is to ensure his church is built and why it ought to be our purpose also.